Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number seven, where today we'll be talking all about language and how strengths and weaknesses in language might be impacting our students' ability to complete various tasks in math. Before we dive in too deep though, I have to say I am not a speech and language pathologist. I'm going to talk a little bit about expressive and receptive language, but those are not my areas of strength. And so if you are and you're listening and you're like, oh man, she's an idiot. She doesn't know what she's talking about. You're right. I'm not a speech language pathologist, but I, as a special education teacher, sit in meetings and I hear these scores and I oftentimes, I'll be honest, I'm like, oh, well, the speech teacher will take care of that. Oh, they'll work on that. But I want to acknowledge that some of these areas of weakness or some of these deficits, the scores that we're seeing might also be impacting some of their areas of math. And so we can't ignore that. I can't sit in a meeting and be like, oh, well, I shared all my scores. Now it's the speech language pathologist's turn and she's going to do it all. And I don't really care about that or it doesn't apply to me or I'm not working on those goals. Because the truth of the matter is those scores might be showing themselves or those weaknesses might be showing themselves in some areas of math. And so that is what this episode is dedicated towards. We're going to first start with expressive language. Expressive language is exactly what it sounds like. It is a person's ability to express their needs, their wants, their ideas, their thoughts. It's their ability to use either words, phrases, or sentences to be able to communicate what they want or what they need or maybe what they're thinking or feeling. Now, what does that look like in our students? So think of all of the talking that we do throughout a day. Think of all of the times kids are called on, kids are asked to talk to a teacher, kids are asked to explain something to their group, work with a partner, um, all of the things that we're asking our kids to do that involve words. Basically, any time that a student is required to think of something in their own head and say it out loud are all of the times of day in which expressive language can be difficult. And so while oftentimes we say, well, you know, we as teachers or, you know, we're doing a lot of the talking, they're supposed to be listening. Well, yeah, but we're also asking them to talk a lot as well. And so anytime that we are asking them to think and share an answer, we are pulling on those expressive language skills where they could have potential weaknesses. And so I wanna talk a little bit about what this might look like and what you might be seeing in your students. Because oftentimes we might be thinking they don't work hard, they don't try, they're so stubborn. We have lots of negative things, you know, kind of bopping around in our head, but really those are kind of a mask or those are our thoughts, but really they're rooted in a weakness of theirs. 
So we might see students who are struggling to read or say various numbers or kind of math words, math things out loud. So I want you to think about, um, say, a second or a third grade standard where we might be asking students to read a two or three digit, maybe even a four digit number out loud, like 392. Now, 392 for one student might be so easy to just spit it out, 392, three, you know, three words, that's easy. But someone else with some expressive language difficulties might have difficulty being able to say all of those numbers. They know what it means. They could tell you if something is larger or if something is smaller. They have a good place value understanding, but just pulling all of those words and connecting 300, okay, now I have to say 300, 92, there's a nine in the tens place. What does that mean? You know, they might know it, but being able to put it into words is very hard for them. We also have students who have a hard time just answering problems or answering questions aloud. So let's say you're walking around the room and you see that little Johnny has exactly the right answer on his paper. And so then when it's time to start sharing answers on the board or checking the paper together, you call on him because Johnny had the right answer. He knew exactly how to solve whatever problem you were doing. It was perfect. But when you call on him, he doesn't have an answer or he refuses to answer or he gives a one word answer and you're like, well, yeah, but, but tell me what you wrote down. Tell me how you did that. And so just that thought or just that ability to answer a question out loud becomes very hard for them. Maybe it's because they're on the spot. Maybe it's because they can't find the words. Maybe they lack the vocabulary, but being able to answer a question is very hard for them. And that kind of goes right in with the next piece of um, expressive language difficulties that we might see, and that is explaining their thinking. So again, Johnny had the right answer. Johnny knew what to do. He did it all on his own. But his ability to explain that to others is very, very hard. And again, that could be for one of many, many reasons. And to me, that's the part where the SLP will be hard at work at that. They'll be working on some of those strategies and coping skills to help their ability to explain their thinking. But we are still going to see signs of that in math and we have to be able to do something about that because we don't want our students to feel like, how can I always get the right answer but I can't explain it to her? How come she's always asking me to explain and I have no idea what to say? And we don't want them to have a bad taste in their mouth about math or be like, oh my gosh, I'm so bad at math when really you're quite good at math. But it's that expressive piece. It's saying words out loud. It's answering questions that the teacher asks of you. It's explaining it to somebody else. How often throughout the day are we asking our students to talk with a partner, talk with their group, work with others in a small group. Maybe it's even a teacher or a classroom assistant where we're asking them to explain what they're doing. And this could be incredibly, incredibly hard for them. Now, the hard part is we know that these could be some potential areas of weakness. So we don't wanna put them in the hot seat. We don't want to create situations where they have fear or anxiety or feel bad about themselves. And like, how come I do have the right answer, but I can't explain it to her. 
Instead, we want to start teaching them how to use some tools and some resources and strategies so that they can explain their thinking, but in a much maybe smaller or different format. And so I have a couple of thoughts or suggestions of things that you could do to help your students with this expressive piece. So I have five different things that I wanna share that might help your students with expressive language deficits. And I'm going to try my best to share them as like the most support to the least amount of support, okay? So the first thing, the most supportive, you're doing a lot of the work, is to have you do the majority of the explaining. So for example, if we're looking at Johnny who had wonderful work on his paper, but is having a hard time articulating that response, you could start by sharing exactly what they did and asking for their confirmation throughout. For example, if we were working on two digit by two digit subtraction, and I have Johnny's paper in front of me, I might say, Johnny, it looks like you first looked in the ones column, is that correct? Johnny might say, yeah, that's what he did first. And then it looks like you noticed that two minus seven wasn't possible. So hmm, it looks like then maybe you went to the tens column and you marked out the four and made it into a three. Is that what you did? And then wait for their confirmation or their explanation or if they are able to offer, yeah, that's what I did. And yes, that I did that because, then that's wonderful. But if not, you're able to show his peers that yes, he knew what he was doing. You're able to model for him and others what it's like to explain exactly what they were doing. And they're able to kind of see and hear what that looks like because our kids do need examples of that. For some people, explaining their thinking is very, very easy. They would score high in these expressive language areas, but for other students, they need examples. They need to see exactly what that student or what they did in order to be able to explain that. And so if possible, after you have explained it, it would be wonderful if they could repeat it back to you. Now, I don't think that's the most important piece depending on the student. If all you do is explain their thinking, I think that's fine. If you could get them to repeat parts of it back or begin kind of filling in the blank. Now, what did you do after that? I think that's absolutely wonderful. However, don't push it. If all they're ready to do is listen to you modeling how they did the work that they just did or um, you share for them on their behalf, then start there. If they could repeat after you, if they could repeat parts of it, wonderful, but start small. Strategy number two is a little less restrictive or a little less supportive. And with this strategy, it is based solely on questions. So for some kids, we think, you know, oh, well, write a story about this or explain how to do this. And that's a big task when we think about it. That's huge. And their ability to think like, okay, what am I going to write about first? Or what am I going to say first? Or how do I begin explaining this is hard. And so questions can kind of guide them. What did you do first? Where did you look in this problem? Or what were you thinking of this problem at first? 
you might say, um, okay, now usually for me, I start my subtraction problems in the ones column. Is that what you did? And you might ask them questions. And then from there you might say, then what did you do? I see two minus seven. What were you thinking there? And then you could ask them guiding questions to help them walk through that process. Oh, okay, so you were thinking that two minus seven was not possible because if you have two, you can't take away seven. So then what did you do? And you're kind of using their words, maybe helping and supporting and completing those sentences for them, and then asking them a question. So this is a little bit different than the last step where you pretty much did all of the explaining for them. And instead, you're asking them questions to guide them through that process. Strategy number three, then again, is a little less supportive in that you're asking them either true or false questions or yes or no. So you might say, you know, Johnny, is it true that I usually start in the ones column? Oh yeah, Mrs. Wilp, that's where you start. You start in the ones column. Okay, so now that I'm in the ones column, I'm seeing that two minus seven is what I'm going to have to do. And I think I can do two minus seven. Is that true? Well, no, Mrs. Wilp, you can't do two minus seven. And so they're able to really think one step at a time, and they're able to be like, well, Mrs. Wilp, no, you can't do two minus seven, or, well, yes, we start in the ones column. So using like a true or false or a yes or no kind of setup allows them to slow the process down, think about one step at a time, and then really just be able to answer yes or no. They don't have to come up with a lot of words. We know that they did all of the work on the paper, so they are very aware of the mathematical side of things. Now it's just slowing them down and letting them take one step at a time. All they have to say is true or false, yes or no, whatever you prefer or whatever they prefer so that they can begin answering and explaining what they did. Strategy number four then uses sentence stems. And I'll be honest, I love sentence stems. I use them all the time for all kinds of things. I love them because they're great for all learners. Some people need them, some people don't, that's fine. But if they're posted on the board or you talk about it ahead of time or it's something that you use all the time in your classroom, it's wonderful. So I love to use sentence stems. And so maybe you do have first I and then ask students to say what they did first. Then I and what did they do after that? Finally, I and then they explain. Maybe you count using your fingers, okay? First, then last. Whatever you're working on might determine what those sentence stems would be. If we're working on addition with regrouping, those sentence stems might look different than subtraction with regrouping. Um, maybe they're guided questions that it's not you standing asking those questions like in step number two or in strategy number two, but instead you have a list of questions that they can ask themselves. So those sentence stems for me are very powerful and kind of guide students to independence and eventually they can explain their thinking. They can work to improve that ability, but it takes some practice. And in my mind, it started with modeling, moved to questioning, moved to, is this true? Yes or no? Is that, you know, is that how we do that? And then later, 
in later grade levels or later in the year, then maybe they're using more sentence stems to help them know what to say and when to say it. Moving along from sentence stems then is a vocabulary word wall or some type of reference sheet with some words or pictures or diagrams. Again, that's going to depend on what are you working on? What grade level are we talking about here? What ability level are we working with here? If you gave them a vocabulary sheet, can they read the words independently or do we need more pictures? What is that going to look like? Um, will vary. However, giving them some type of reference sheet that they can use on their own or is posted in the room. Oftentimes we love things like word walls and anchor charts, but are we teaching our students to use it? Those words are up here. Those diagrams are up here. You know, that kind of gives us something to work with if we teach our kids to use it. So to me, that is the less, the least amount of support that we're providing is using the room or using a reference sheet. Um, interactive notebooks, I think, are wonderful because it gives students a place to go back and find vocabulary words, find lists of First we do this, then we do that. But again, we have to teach and train them to actually use those resources. Now, throughout the school day, we do ask our students to talk and share and answer things out loud, but we also require them to sit and listen and learn and process information. And so that looks a little bit different as far as language goes. That would be receptive language. And so receptive language is, again, exactly what it sounds like. It's the language that we receive. So it is our ability to hear the teacher talking or hear a student talking and understand what those words and what that language means. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, school is very language-based as far as our receptive language is concerned. A lot of our school day is listening. Maybe it's listening to the announcements, listening to the teacher talk, listening to the assistant that comes in the room, paying attention in a small group, working with a partner. All of those are opportunities where somebody else is doing the talking and it is our job to do the listening or the student's job to do the listening. And that can be very heavy for some of our students. And again, well, that sounds like the job of a speech language pathologist to use their sessions to work on skills and strategies. And while that sounds great, we see them every day and we see them working on hard, hard skills that if they're not able to listen to what is being said, it's going to be very hard for them to be able to master grade level skills. And so once again, we are going to see some characteristics in some of our students who are struggling with this. And so we might see students who are asking for things to be repeated a lot, or they might even be asking for us to slow down. You're talking too fast, you're going too fast. Wait a minute, I can't keep up. And so when we hear or see our students struggling in that area, it might not be their processing. It might not be that they're slow. It might not be that writing is hard for them. It might not be all these things. It could be that their ability to just understand what is coming at them is hard. And so receptive language could be an area of weakness for them. 
We might also see kids who really just struggle to even follow directions. So maybe you're saying, I need you to have your math book out. You need to be open to page 14. You need to have a ruler and a pencil. All of that was so much for them to process, which we have talked about in previous episodes. But that receptive language, what you are saying to them, is so difficult for them to grasp, then we're like, I told you to have your math book out. Why don't you have a ruler? And that's easy to do. I do it myself. But when we're on their case about those things, we're just adding more language. We're just, you know, the scolding is just even more for them. And they don't need that. That's their, you know, their area of weakness is receptive. All the things that you're saying. And so in my mind, we have to talk less and show more. And so don't just tell them what what you need. Show them this is what they need to have out. We might also see students who are having a difficult time with just understanding all of the math terms. If you could just show them what to do, they're all good. But when you start throwing out numbers or words like tens and ones and sum and dividend and multiplication and subtract and all the things becomes very, very hard for them. That vocabulary piece and understanding what does she mean when she says this? What does she mean when she says that? With fractions, we have numerators and denominators and reciprocals and all the things. And then we might be adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing. Think of all the math words that there are. How hard would it be if you had low scores in just receptive language and vocabulary was difficult for you and processing all that information? Wow, how hard and how confusing would math be? So you might see students who are just really struggling with math terms or recalling some of the things that you have asked them to do because that's just not sinking in for them. We might also see difficulties in word problems. Word problems we know for a lot of students are killer anyway. They're awful, we avoid them many, many times. But we know that word problems are hard for students with receptive language difficulties because of all of that language involved. Oftentimes, teachers think, hey, I'm very helpful and I'm going to read this out loud to them. If a student is a non-reader, they rely on you reading that out loud to them. However, if language is hard for them to process, that receptive language is going to be very hard as well. It's also going to be hard if they're reading it on their own and understanding language, even when they are the, the speaker, that will still be hard for them. So we might see kids asking for things to be repeated, saying that they can't keep up. They might have difficulty following directions. They might find math terms very difficult and word problems especially that are so language heavy will be very, very difficult for them. Now, what can you do for your students who are having a hard time with receptive language? Well, I have nine different things that just kind of quickly come to mind that we can do to help support our students in this area. Now, strategy or tip number one here is going to be so simple, you're gonna be like, geez, Amanda, why are you wasting my time with this one? But I promise you, even if you think you're doing it enough, it's probably still not enough. And that is naturally, or working to naturally, repeat everything over and over 
and over again, because for some of our students, they do need to hear that multiple times. So for some of our kids, maybe they do need to hear it two or three times before they understand it. For other kids, maybe they only need to hear it once. For some of our kids, maybe 10 times. So naturally, repeat what you're saying and give them some time to process and understand what they are to do. Kind of going along with that is if you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I cannot say this one more time, then ask another student who maybe has already done that and is patiently waiting, but ask another student to explain what they're supposed to do or to give the directions again. So we know that kids are asking for things to be repeated. So if they're asking, then we're already not saying, not doing enough of that just repetition over and over. So if you feel like a broken record, ask another student to say it. That way you're getting in that repetition without you saying 10 times what they're supposed to do. That goes along with, I think I already hinted at this earlier, but strategy number two is to show and tell. So a lot of times we're telling students what to do, but show them what to do. If you have a document camera in your room, maybe you could ask them to make their desk look like your desk or their desk to look like, you know, your tray or wherever your document camera is. Ask them to get out those materials. So don't just tell them what they're supposed to have, show them as well. Then give them some time to do that. Hey, what do you know? That goes along with strategy number three. Give them some wait time. If they're struggling to follow directions, if they're asking for things to be repeated, they might need you to slow down. And so give them some wait time. Could you imagine living in a world where everything is at a pace that is like 10 times your level and you're just trying to keep up, but you don't know how and you don't understand what people are asking of you and you're doing your very best, but it's just hard. So give them some wait time. Allow them the time to just kind of process what's going on. Look at your document camera. Oh, well, she has her math book out. She has a pencil. She has her hundreds chart. That's what I need. And that becomes very routine and they know what to do. So give them some extra wait time when needed. Number four, strategy number four, goes also with that expressive language piece and is going to tie into my next strategy as well, and that is to have a word wall. It's wonderful to have some math terms, some reading terms, some science terms, whatever it is that you teach or that you find yourself needing. Um, specifically, since we're talking about math, I'm gonna say with math terms. Have math terms posted so that they can find and use them as they need it. Going along with that for the next strategy is having a word wall also on your board, okay? And that's gonna be like, oh my gosh, Amanda, all these words. Well, yes, if you have a word wall on the wall and also have one on your board, the words that are on your board are what's relevant right now. The word wall on the wall is kind of cumulative. It's all the things that you've talked about this year or all the things that you are going to talk about but pull off the words that they might need. Pull off the models or diagrams of things that you might need to have readily available and post them on the board. That way they're not looking through, okay, well, didn't start with A, didn't start with B, oh, not in C, where is it, where is it, where is it, where they can't find it. 
It's on the wall. It's posted for the, or on the board. It's right there. Maybe you've been pointing to it 15 times. Have you been talking about, yes, good job, the sum. That is the answer to our addition problem or whatever it happens to be. You can have one on the wall, which is strategy number four, but also have one on the board where you can pull, okay, this is what we're talking about this week. And these are the three words that we need this week. Or these are the three words that we're going to be using for the next five weeks because we're talking about this big mama topic or something. So be mindful of not just having the word wall, but what do we need right now? And have them in a spot where the kids can reference that. My next few strategies are all about word problems, okay? So first, I wanna talk a little bit about part, part, whole. Um, I believe I've talked about this earlier as well. I really love to use part, part, whole because you can use it for addition or subtraction. You can use it for multiplication or you can use it for addition, but you have to understand why. And I remember early on thinking part, part, whole was so stupid, but in time, it's like, wow, there's real value here. What information do we know about a word problem? And then where does it belong? Is this a part or is this a whole? And then understanding that, well, if we have the whole, then we're probably going to be subtracting or dividing. If we have two parts, then we're probably going to be adding or probably going to be multiplying. So I like to train kids to use that. I even have little grids that we use. They're uh, just laminated and we write on them with a dry erase marker and we can use those to help solve our word problems. We can also use them with big numbers. We can use them for small numbers. So my little ones can use it. My big ones can use it. Everybody can begin to understand that part, part, whole chart. Next, I think we could also just help them get started. Sometimes kids need some of those guiding questions like, hmm, well, did his number get bigger or smaller? Oh, well, he had some and then they flew away. And so sometimes just some help getting started can help kids understand what to do. Maybe writing out a number sentence and saying, okay, well, he had seven. And then he got some, let me put a big circle there because we're getting some and I don't know that number yet. And then he had 10. And so just helping them kind of get started and letting them finish the process could be one way to help them kind of understand what's going on and help them process that information. And it also becomes a little more visual and a little less word-based because you're drawing a picture, you're writing a number sentence, you're starting that process for them so that they can visually see it instead of listening to you just say it over and over or instead of listening to you read it out loud over and over, maybe they're having difficulty understanding, oh, she said some. Hmm, she said some means that we're trying to figure out this mystery number. So maybe just helping them get started could be the strategy that works for them. I also like to slowly add the steps on the board. For example, maybe I read the problem out loud a couple of times and give them some think time. And then after they think about it, maybe without saying anything, I begin doing the first step on the board. And then I'm gonna wait. I'm not going to interrupt. I'm not gonna stop them from thinking. I'm gonna just wait. 
And then if they are paying attention, if they need the help and support, if I'm walking around the room, I could say, why don't you look at my paper? What did I write down? Maybe that would help you. And then I'm not just giving them answers. I'm still guiding them through the steps. I'm still allowing them some time to process information. But one step at a time, I'm kind of adding a little more and a little more and a little more until we reach the answer. So again, that may not be for all classrooms or all students or all um, different areas of weaknesses that students could have, but that could help by just slowly adding first this and then give them a little bit of time and then that. And your hint number three or your step number three might be enough for them to be like, oh, I know exactly what to do now. And then they're off. So just slowly add those steps. And my last strategy is to use models, pictures, manipulatives, whatever you might need to help them work through each of those steps. So I know I've talked in the past, maybe you use erasers, maybe you use candy, maybe you use Cheerios, maybe you use base 10 blocks, but give it to your students and again, let them do it instead of just listen to you say it, or read it or we do it once we rush through it and we're done slow it down and give them time to use things to physically do or physically create that problem now as we're wrapping up this episode i want you to really really think and watch your students at the beginning of the year and really look and see are they struggling with communicating their thoughts or are they struggling to process your thoughts, processing the things that you're saying? Are they struggling in both of those areas? What things are you seeing that maybe one little tweak, one strategy might work? Um, I felt like a contradiction the whole time I was talking about some of the word problem strategies because I'm saying, show them, stop talking, stop saying it over and over. But then one of my other strategies was repeat it, repeat it. So, Every student is going to need something different and every student's expressive and receptive language abilities are going to be different. So be mindful and do your best to incorporate some of these things into your classroom regularly so that you are naturally repeating, so that you are using a word wall, so that you have tools to help all of your learners, all of the students that come to your room, that you can help them to be successful. So I want you to have a great week and I will see you in the next episode. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.